Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Beamvoice podcast. Today we have with us Howard Bell, the founder and CEO of Katenda, and uh, they like to call them uh, themselves makers of BeamSync. Hi, Howard. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm very happy that you, you joined me. Thank you for accepting my invitation. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Let's start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Yes, so um, I think uh, relevant, I started uh, my career with uh, mathematics uh, and then I um, was fortunate enough to get a uh, work on a PhD at, at Tokyo University in Japan with structural analysis. Um, and that was actually my gateway into uh, software programming because most of my PhD was uh, spent uh, programming C++ code to uh, do some analysis on um, on a mathematical problem. Um, and that was very exciting. Um, so after completing my PhD, I started as a software engineer in a small uh, Japanese company uh, working on collaboration solutions for the educational market in Japan. And after that, uh, or after a while in Japan, actually seven years, I thought it would be great to come back to Norway and uh, see my family and friends again. <laughs> so I uh, was looking for a job uh, in Norway. Um, and uh, luckily enough, there was an opening at Sintef, uh, which is uh, the largest independent research organization in Scandinavia, uh, where they were looking for people to dive into the digitization of uh, construction data, if you will. So uh, the IFC data model and the uh, building smart standards of BCF and building smart data dictionary and all that stuff uh, is something I started on in 2004 and got all in uh, with, uh, with everything yeah, at that time. Wow. Uh, so you, you, uh, from a structural engineer, you, you switched completely to programming. And uh, yes, uh, it was it was um, more of a mathematical background, so that's how I approached the structural engineering and on doing numerical analysis. And in order to do numerical analysis, all you had to use computers and program stuff. Um, so I always liked um, uh, programming, and uh, but I never thought that was a real thing to do. I thought it was better to understand the, the foundations below that again. For some reason, I don't know if that's really true or not. Uh, I think that was just my inner imagination. But um, yeah, so it was natural for me to uh, to work on software engineering. Um, I understand. Uh, what happened after Sintef? So uh, at Sintef, uh, when we were working on um, the, the the complexity of trying to take uh, data that was more uh, represented or very often represented as, as 2D drawings. So you had lines and polygons instead of actual objects like uh, doors and windows and walls. So once you saw the, the potential of having uh, data represented like real objects flowing through the whole building process from when you start thinking of a building till you actually built it and afterwards in the, in the operations phase, that was very exciting and it seemed to be a lot of commercial opportunities. So together with uh, four other colleagues at Sintef, uh, we decided to, to try and see if we could uh, come up with something that would help the industry uh, make this transition much easier. So that's why we started Katenda after 
uh, after I've been in Sintef in five, uh, after five years at Sintef. So in 2009, uh, we, we set up Katenda and, and basically first started off as consultants helping uh, uh, projects uh, that wanted to explore the potential of BIM and so forth. Interesting. Interesting. So you 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 help other uh, yeah actors in the stakeholders in the in the industry to develop different tools to understand better. Yes. So so Norway was in a very good and interesting position. That happened actually in two thousand four ish, two thousand and three. There was a trip to Singapore where a bunch of uh, Norwegian sort of um, uh, central position Norwegians uh, saw the potential of, of BIM uh, and wanted to, uh, to push the Norwegian industry in that direction. So uh, there was a cross uh, disciplinary cross uh, business um, group of, of enthusiasts and, and organizations that actually put their own money and, and um, bet on this thing. So they uh, got some funding from the authorities and got some funding from themselves and uh, worked really hard to, uh, to implement this. And, and doing, while they're doing that, they used Sintef a lot, and we were fortunate to be part of that team to help this uh, group of, of getting things done, trying out things, uh, writing prototypes, testing, uh, developing the standards, uh, working uh, alongside everything that was happening to, to try to make this into a, a great success for Norway. Interesting. That sounds very, very nice. Can you tell us a little bit more about Katenda, uh, about the company? Yes. So, so Katenda, we're making a, a BIM-based collaboration platform. So instead of thinking about documents as the main thing that you need to collaborate on, we thought BIM would be the central core of everything. So data is uh, important stuff. Uh, we want to make the construction industry data-driven using open standards to achieve breakthrough performance and sustainability. That's what we, uh, we aim to do. So we built this platform allowing everyone to collaborate much more efficient, much more visual um, around the building information models. Uh, and we have thought of this as a BIM first kind of approach um, where documents are of course part of this. So we're a normal document management system as well. And we have been thinking about data. So we have a set of APIs that can be used and embedded into other software systems or your existing systems. So we want to be part of the solution and be uh, easily integratable uh, and so forth. And that seems to have a great, uh, been a great success. Uh, so we have uh, a lot of large industry clients around the world that are using us for all projects and uh, using us to to move and transition the whole organization from uh, traditional 2D-based workflows to more 3D BIM-based workflows. I understand. Do you have more products that you, you are developing or it's only one product? It's basically one product. We also used to have um, uh, the Building Smart Data Dictionary uh, technical infrastructure that we sold to Building Smart International, but we developed that and put it on the, on, on the map in a sense. But that's uh, now sold off and, and not longer part of Katenda. Um, we used to also have uh, what we call a knowledge system, which was based on the Building Smart Data Dictionary for searching and finding out uh, facts uh, from uh, different guidelines. Um, for example, the electrical handbook 
for electricians. Uh, we, uh, we digitized and made it easier for electricians to quickly find solutions and answers to formulas and stuff like that using uh, basically a B, a building smart uh, technology. Uh, but now it's only BIMSync, our product that we're focusing on and building that platform. Although that platform allows us to have several products on top of that. So that's something that's coming, probably going to come and um, have more diverse offerings in the near future. I understand. Uh, can you very briefly explain a little bit how exactly uh, BIMSync works? Uh, and uh, for, for somebody to understand how this can be uh, implemented in their workflow, for example. Take a designer company or a, or a customer or a client. Yes. So yeah, roughly you can say there are three parts to BIMSync. Uh, one is a, a very strong design collaboration platform. So if you're in the design collaboration phase of a project, uh, you can very efficiently get that design collaboration done. So we have projects reporting that they can reduce uh, the design phase with 40% because they're using uh, uh, BIMSync. So it means that you can uh, very easily explain a challenge in your model uh, that needs to be resolved by, for example, the architect or the electrical engineer or so forth. Um, and it's very easy for the project manager to stay on top of everything that needs to be done so that he can make sure the project is on track. Uh, and it's a place for the whole project to keep everything up to date. So you have all your models, all your BIM models, all your documents, all your issues, and everything is, is well connected. So you can, you can see that uh, for this wall, these five documents are relevant. For this window, these three documents are relevant. And these five issues happened on the construction site or happened before. So that's one part. The other part is a, a mobile offering, essentially giving you access to a, a lot of the, the design collaboration features on site. So you can bring the data out there. You can view the model, you can uh, take pictures and, and update issues. Um, and then finally, we have a set of APIs allowing you to, to integrate um, all these BIM data into your own offerings. You can uh, tie your own document management system into it, or you can pull out data into a, a business intelligence dashboard like Power BI or whatever, and, and monitor what's going on with all your projects across uh, your whole uh, organization. That sounds good. Uh, I did not work too much with BIM 360, but this sounds to me a lot like BIM 360. It's an alternative to BIM 360? Yeah, we would say that uh, BIM 360 is a, is a copycat in a sense. We were first out there with a design collaboration tool that was uh, fully based on, on BIM. Uh, before that, it was only document management, even from Autodesk. Um, we were first out there with a, a viewer for, um, for BIM on a web platform. Uh, so again, that's been copied by Autodesk. Um, and we're uh, the most sort of open uh, platform out there. So we have a set of open APIs. Uh, we're 100% supportive of the building information uh, modeling standards, like the building smart standards. I don't see Autodesk following that path as closely. Uh, they don't have a BCF server API base, for example. They're developing on their own. And there are a lot of other sort of deeper features that we have uh, spent more time on and thought more about than what they have coming uh, coming later to the to, to the game. So 
but obviously they're a, a big and strong company and they have uh, lots of other offerings and so forth. But I think we're, uh, we're much easier user interface. We're uh, easier to use and we have this grow with us uh, sort of uh, point of view where we think that, you know, uh, ideally everyone should be out there using BIM to the full potential uh, stop using drawings and all that stuff, but that's not the reality. It will take time to change the industry. It will take uh, time to get used to time to understand what's really uh, of value. And we think that we have something that can, uh, you can work like you do today and you, and get a lot of benefits out of our tool, but you can then at your pace uh, transition to a more digital workflow as you see fit, as you see the value of it uh, going forward. I understand. Uh, regarding the BIM 360 uh, copying the design you made, uh, didn't you have any patent for this uh, that you could infringe on it? Unfortunately, having uh, software patents is a, is a dead end. We, uh, we spent a lot of time, uh, not a lot of time, but we spent significant amount of time in the beginning to research and talk to uh, patent lawyers and so forth. Uh, patenting uh, software is is basically a dead end. So what you have to do is you have to stay ahead of the competition and, and be best at what you do. So that's our strategy. Um, in terms of, uh, you, you can patent some designs of your, uh, of your interface and so forth. But we think uh, that time is, instead of us spending time on, on patenting designs on our user interface, we should spend time on innovating our, our product. Exactly. Uh, the user interface will change. Things will move forward. We will understand better how things should work and so forth. And, and we, we much rather spend time on that instead of patenting stuff. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. Progressive, innovative uh, mindset. How big is the company? So right now we're about uh, 20 people. So we're a very small company. We're growing quite fast in terms of revenue. And we do have a, a very strong financial uh, partner that is, uh, we have a clear strategy and a clear sort of milestones on what we want to do at certain times. Um, so we have a very strong financial position right now. Um, and uh, our plan is to, uh, to grow uh, as fast as we can. And, and bring this uh, tool that we, we like to think of as a sort of like a Rolls Royce in the, in the industry. Uh, as we were the first ones out there, we've been working at this quite hard. Uh, everyone at Katenda basically has some background in the construction industry. So we do have a deep understanding of what's actually needed out there and what's being done. We have construction managers, team managers, um, design oh. managers, and so forth. Um, and we think that's a strength that we want to, uh, to continue to build on and, and make sure that we can move as fast as we can this entire industry over to a more efficient workforce. Oh, that sounds very good. <laughs> that sounds like my goals too. So it's really nice to hear. Yeah, uh, because we are uh, talking about uh, this uh, acronym for so long already. Uh, wh what is your understanding of BIM or what is BIM for you? Yeah, that's a very good question and a very interesting one. I think um, I come to realize now that there is a there is there are very many different opinions or or understandings of what BIM is, and I'm not going to say that that the, I I have the right uh, sort of aspect of it or whatever. But I think that there are many different opinions on it because there are many different ways of of exploiting this uh, this potential. Uh, for me, uh, building information model is maybe a lot wider scope than than most people think of it uh maybe it's more like a digital twin and, and what is a digital twin 
Um, I, I like to think of, of BIM as a, a data model uh, that's trying to represent the, the physical built asset. And it's not just the IFC data model or whatever comes out of Revit or, or Archicad or what have you, but it's all the data around it that you can connect to it. I would like to see the sort of the, the identification, if you can, with the GDPR um, or within the sort of privacy limits, of course, uh, the, the identification and the number of hours a certain person spent on a certain wall. I would like to be, I would like to have that part of the, the model. I would like to have uh, whatever document is remotely uh, related to the building. I would like to have that part of the, the model. Uh, I would like to have, you know, um, how much time it took from the factory to the, the building site to carry or to transport a certain window. I would like to have that in the model. So for me, it's everything. Uh, and usually the, the counter argument to that is that, well, then the, the, the model will be so heavy to use in software so it's it's not really practical and and the answer to that is it's not really heavy to surf the web when you when you are looking at a news page or you're browsing for shopping or whatever it's not really heavy but uh, the the web is actually full of a lot of data so it's up to the software vendors to make sure that the, the model that you're looking at is not heavy at all, even if the, the BIM is full of data. So that's, that's my approach to it. I think as much data as you can get in there, it doesn't have to be in the same IFC file. It doesn't have to be in the same sort of database, but it should be connected. Everything should be connected through the building information model. Uh, because it's a, it's just a great data structure to uh, to talk about and navigate and look for uh, data in your building, and then once you have that good data structure, you can start automating. You can start using artificial intelligence to get all kinds of interesting things uh, in the years to come. Uh, but if you stuff more data in, you get more out. It has to be real data. It doesn't have to, you know, and it has to be what we actually have. So if there is a PDF, it's not the best data that you can wish for, but it's what we have. So, well, let's use that one then until we get uh, better data. So for me, it's a very wide concept, um, but it's a, it's a huge potential. But um, it's always the case that you start with what's actually there now. Whatever comes out of Archicad, whatever comes out of Revit, and uh, whatever you can give us, uh, uh, dear BIM authoring guy or, or lady, that's what we take. Uh, and then we'll have to iterate and iterate and iterate and slowly become better and better and better and slowly have more and more interesting data and find better and better ways of, of working with this. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, it's, it's unfortunately, actually, um, the fact that there are so many... Like the, the it's so unclear what BIM is. Like who who started talking about BIM should have made a explain it much better. Well, guys, you know this is BIM. I'm talking about the 3D model, or I'm talking about how do you shape the information, how do you manage the information, right? But it 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 left so much room to confusion and to so much so many hours of talks uh, to try to to understand. But uh, at the end of the day, like you said. Is the most important is to understand the current situation and try to see what we can do to improve and how to do it quicker. 
quickest possible, right? Yes. You've been many years working with this thing. So you definitely saw some challenges in the in the construction industry that you decided to pursue this, right? What do you think are the biggest challenges in our industry? What, what is not working in the construction industry? Um, that's a, a big question. Uh, so far, my I'm leaning towards, uh, not saying that this is a fact, but I'm leaning towards the challenge the industry has because it's, it's very fragmented. And why is it very fragmented? Uh, that has to do with tradition. It has to do with how things started way back when. Uh, and so forth, uh, but it is what it is. So having a lot of different actors, a lot of different organizations coming together on one building project uh, with many different attitude, many different uh, ways of thinking about risk, different ways of, of making their money. Um, some people in, in the project will make their money based on how many hours they put in. Uh, other organizations will make their money based on a set price they've already given. So they have to sort of uh, do things as quickly as they can and so forth. So there's a, a lot of conflicting interests in a project. And in order to sort of uh, mitigate uh, lawsuits and stuff like that, the contracts build in a lot of risk in every single layer. So um, the small company doing some electrical stuff uh, maybe they have three guys. Uh, they put in a lot of uh, risk buffers in their contract, making the price go up a little bit. The general contractor hiring these guys put in a, a lot of risk buffering to the owner uh, because of uh, all the unknowns and, and uh, all the organization they have to deal with. Uh, maybe somebody goes bankrupt and they have to take responsibility and so forth. So there is a lot of risk buffers on every single layer, uh, compounding this into a, a big, complex, uh, difficult beast to manage. Um, and uh, so I don't think this has, there is not a lot of uh, challenges to technology. I think the, there is a lot of uh, interesting and good technology out there that can help you uh, quite along the way, but having, and a better organization, a better process, better contracts is very important to tackle this, this problem. And it's very difficult to just change uh, because there are so many uh, different organizations and, and layers in the value chain and everybody has to uh, come along into the change. So it means if you want to do a small change, you have to work really, really hard to align everybody and get everybody on board, and then you can do some change. So I think that's the biggest uh, challenge for the industry, that it's, uh, it's very fragmented, and thus uh, it takes a bit of a time to, uh, to move. Yeah, yeah that, that's a big one. Uh, and yeah, uh, when we think about how fragmented it is, the industry, we can, I don't think we can do much about this. Maybe... Um, you can have some projects where you can have a more integrated delivery. Maybe you have a big company that can deliver the, the, some uh, prefab uh, products and can assemble the building itself, itself right? So uh, I, th I think I've, I've seen and uh, heard about uh, some business models like this, companies that try to deliver from A to Z to avoid all this. But mainly, this is going to be something that we need to accept. 
uh, you need to have it. You cannot remove this. Not not so far, not not yet. Uh, like you need a, it's so much so many things. There are so many small things that you need to work with different people. So maybe we cannot do too much about that. Yes, but from my point of view, like uh, many of the other things you you said about better contracts or better uh, organizing better processes in, inside the companies, uh, I think the biggest impact here can actually be made if one of the stakeholders across the supply chain chain uh, would adjust quicker than others. Like for example, uh, from how I see this is like, um, I think the clients have the most power in this. They can decide uh, which direction uh, the industry should, uh, should go uh, because they have the money, they form the contracts, they are, they are doing everything, right? But in order for this to happen, they need to be aware of, uh, of this. They need to have people with this competency with, to be able to do it, right? And after that, you start implementing it uh, easy uh, with small steps, of course, right? Uh, but uh, I believe that uh, it's very vital uh, for uh, clients or asset owners, asset managers, public owners to develop the knowledge, at least, the knowledge base in the start to see how they can can uh, can improve the things are are going because uh, the contractor will do what the client is requiring right so we'll try to do at least of course uh, there is going to be resistance <laughs> even if you come with the best uh, thought process how do you have to have it on your project like if you have a I'm experiencing this myself so uh, the the contractor will work in uh, his or her own uh, way right but if you have clear requirements and maybe help, it's important to help as well to to uh, to explain where they when they need it, and uh, maybe that would have a, a big impact from from the perspective of uh, right now how the things are happening. Like it's a lot of uh, fight between the parts. This is another uh, downside with so many involved parts, right? And what is the mindset on the construction? It's like who who can uh, scream louder wins the fight, right? So it's. This is something that needs to be to change as well, but yeah, uh, it, those are very important ones. Uh, and of course, everybody must contribute. Even if you are a contractor or a designer or anything else, uh, we we need to to try to do something because we don't have. We are running out of time. Like the the planet will go in fire soon. We need to do something about this. And I think you're you're right in the sense that owners have the in, in theory they have the biggest uh, uh, power. But in practice, they seem to be very dependent on the general contractor as well, because they don't have the skill set, they don't have the understanding, they don't have the, uh, very often they don't seem to really have the power to say what, so I want you to build this building and you're going to do it my way. And the general contractor will then say, well, then I'll, I'm off to another project. So good luck. Um, but no, I want you. Well, if you want me, then you have to follow my rules. Uh, so there is a, there's actually a lot of power with the general contractor as well. Um, and that complicates things a little bit because then you have to help the general contractor see value in doing things a little bit differently. Um, and the owner should be there. So then you at least have these two. And the general contractor, again, is dependent on their subcontractors and having them coming along on mm -hmm. their, which, and they're used to their own terms and blah, 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 and whatever. So I, uh, yeah, it's a complicated thing, and it uh, seems to be uh, difficult to sort of just 
do one one turn and then you have a revolution and everything is great <laughs> you have to fight along the way uh, and do little steps and iterate and iterate and iterate exactly exactly no i uh, i i uh, dumped it uh, all at once uh, so of course i like i did not mean meant at any point that it should be easy of course it, it's a, it's a humongous challenge uh, and uh it would be crazy to just do it uh, from the start uh, for, with everything like yeah from the next project i'll do everything this way right no of course you needed to do it incrementally and um, you need to to have good relationship with contractors of course and uh, what what i'm what i'm trying to to uh, highlight here is actually what is happening in norway uh, like uh, the big uh, public uh, clients are actually doing this and i i see good results so they they, uh, the contractors have become used, like, uh, yeah, Baninur or uh, Statsvig will require me to not use drawings on this project. So, yeah, that, that's not crazy anymore. Like, we have uh, almost uh, uh, around over 100 projects built without drawings. So, that's huge. So, and, and that's a very things. good point that the, the, the public clients are actually a big reason for why things have gone this far in Norway and yeah. why we have managed to have this kind of success so far. Um, because the public clients have been there saying, we want, we want, we want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and of course, you'll get resistance. I It's definitely going to be a fight. Uh, but uh, if the, uh, the the client still has the most power because they have the money, they, they right? So uh, maybe you will have, like, uh, on the first projects, you will uh, uh, release for tender, you'll have uh, no no bids. Because they, they, or, or uh, you will have uh, like inquiries like this. I, I will, I want to build it, but my way, right? But after that, maybe you'll start having one contractor. Maybe you get that company gets uh, some guys that have worked in this way before or want to work in this way, right? So, of course, it needs to be incremental that it won't be a, like a unsurmountable task, right? But this is, uh, like I said, uh, it's happening already. It's happening in, uh, here, and uh, I'm, I'm very happy for this. I'm very happy to, to see this. I, I still believe there can be, there, it can happen even quicker. But uh, the most important is like, I really hope that people all over the world start seeing this, that actually there is a better way and more effective way. Uh, but uh, regarding this, by the way, because I, um, uh, I got some um, from previous guests, I got this... Um, vagueness of um, of measuring the uh, performance uh, they uh, they don't really know they cannot point on the on this and say yes because we are doing this we save so much money when when you think about the whole process because we are talking about uh, long periods of time for maintenance right where where you are going to have actually the biggest costs like building the the project it's 10, 15, rarely 20% of the entire life cycle cost of a project, right? So I got this challenge, uh, challenging uh, question from uh, Stan Sunisen from Statsvig. Yeah, uh, because they don't know, they, they, they like what is happening and they believe in what they do, but they, don't, they cannot measure it. They cannot say, yes, we are, have saved so much money doing this. It's difficult to find it. Uh, even if maybe you see improvements of course but it's difficult because you need like you you start with all the people need to to up their skills right you need to invest a lot in education of your staff to get them to work in the new way right so 
and measuring for the next 10 and or 20 years it's not so easy that's true but still we see we have we've heard for example project managers after they starting using our tool there's nothing revolutionary in the sense but it, it it makes it easier to run the project more efficiently so they say they say 50 hours every month that's 50,000 wow. Norwegian kroners uh, 5,000 euros every month that the project doesn't need to uh, to spend uh, and that's just a simple you know, making it a little bit more efficient to collaborate. So, you, so the project manager doesn't have to spend all the time following up with email, this and that, and calling, blah, blah, blah. So that's a big save. And another save is reducing email with 80%. So instead of roaming through your inbox, trying to figuring out who did what, when, uh, where was this problem going on, who sent that email, did I copy you or not, um, you have a, a clear overview in, in a software. That's, you know, just imagine having reducing your inbox with 80%. That's a lot of time saved. And then you have uh, designers saying, you know, implementing virtual design and construction and using the right tools. They can design 40% faster or reducing the, the, the time it takes to design with 40%. That's also a massive save. So there are uh, clear indications and clear uh, value adds out there uh, for everybody if if they uh, start working a bit more efficiently, and that can be done with uh, building information modeling. Yeah, yeah, it makes uh, perfect sense. It should be uh, like this because we we are wasting a lot of time uh, from these two reasons: uh, collaboration issues and um, and uh, using not very good quality of data like pdfs or uh, drawings uh, paper drawings there are maybe there are still projects where they don't even archive the drawings in pdfs but the problem is is very difficult to to quantify this to come with a yeah you you do this right you will find out only in 10 years how much you spent or how much you saved right but it def like from my point of view like it should definitely have an impact and regarding designers saving time that that is a give and take a issue because with, with uh, you are definitely aware with ISO 9650 right so the clients are starting to implement it are trying to have better requirements right uh, with this even if you don't need to make drawings anymore then you will need to put in a lot of more details in the model right and that is going to take you uh, extra time but at the same time I see that price of setting itself on the on the uh, on maintaining or operating the the building or the facility right because you will have you you'll have it much easier because you won't need to go to a, a lot of uh, sheets of paper to find a, a detail right you just go in beamsync or other platform uh, and you search I, i'm looking for uh, doors and let's see which number or tag does this door has and yeah you understand you definitely know this so it's uh, like it should be a no-brainer and easy, but at the same time, to come up with numbers is not so easy because uh, it's 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 too much information uh, straight up. It's also a bit complicated because I think some of the the gains, and this has to do with the fragmentation again. So, some someone will have to do things a little bit differently, adding some maybe some time, but that will save save 
a lot more time somewhere else in the product, but it's not the one who's spending more time that will save time. Yeah. So it's not the one spending more time that will get the value out of it. And that kind of creates a, a difficulty and a challenge in terms of incentives and who's going to pay for what and so forth. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Yeah. Because if you, as designer, you tender and you have a budget, right? And after that, you get uh, to know that you need to deliver, to put in much more work to deliver more details, right? And regarding details, uh, because you said like different, more advanced kind of details, right? It's all nice and good, but those details need to have a, a reason why you should have those, right? So, and those should be formulated by clients. Again, about a client client's role, right? You need to have specific requirements. Like, why do you need that uh, color? or uh, that data, that tag on that uh, pump or something in your building, right? Because you will need to do that. So, but we, we are still there where there are many, many, uh, there are still many projects without a building execution plan or a, a exchange information requirement. So we get, we, we get back there, right? Like uh, there are more consultants that know about this. At the same time, it's the client who needs to do this. And uh, uh, I, I really believe they, uh, Clients need to realize that they need in-house uh, knowledge for this because consultants maybe don't have the best interest to uh, advocate for this. Maybe it's not the best for them. Maybe it's the best for them to just uh, uh, work as they work right now, right? So, yeah, it's, it's a lot to be said <laughs> about this. But uh, no matter how you look at things, Fixing the uh, collaboration and cooperation challenge on the project, it, it will definitely have a tremendous impact on how the project is built and how it's going to be, uh, to be used that data for the project afterwards. Hmm. Collaboration and the vastness of the, and co complexity level of the industry. Is there anything else we missed? Do you, are, we, are you aware uh, with the standards? Do you follow this? the standards uh, development? Of course, we've been, um, since the very uh, first day of Katenda, we've been uh, heavily involved in all kinds of standards development. So um, I think uh, we're, we're probably one out of two companies in the world that spend, spend so much time on, for example, the building smart data dictionary development. Um, we uh, spent some time developing the IFC standard and we've been, uh, we've been on the ISO committees and the building smart committees uh, and we're still actively involved in, in building smart international. Uh, we're still pursuing uh, standards development whenever we see. So we're getting involved now in new standards developments coming up that we see benefit of, of for the industry. Um, so open standards has been part of our DNA from the very beginning, and, and I think it's important to, uh, to contribute. And of course, the ISO 19650 is, is, a, is a core uh, sort of thinking uh, for us. How, I don't have experience, but how, how are the standards, for example, for, um, uh, for I, uh, IT industry? I, I, I take an issue from this, <laughs> like, I, I believe that. <laughs> Uh, the the access to the standards for the construction industry, I believe it's a little bit too restricted. Uh, how it is for IT? Yeah, so um, there are very a lot of different sort of standardization organizations. Um, one interesting example I find is is the RFCs. I think they're initially. Uh, 
called RFC because there's a request for comments. And those were used heavily in the development of internet. So the TCP IP protocol, that's uh, sort of one of the foundations of, of internet and how it works is a, an RFC. Uh, and I'm not sure if there's a formal organization behind it or if it's just a group of volunteers publishing something online. And the same with email, the protocols for email is, is the same thing, RFC uh, something something. Um, so that's on the one end. Uh, and then you have um, the World Wide Web Consortium with the HTML standards. Uh, they have an approach where you need at least two implementations out in the in the um, in the world for in order for it to become a standard. And then you have the ISO, uh, which is the the original formal standardization run uh, on an international level. We have a committee, and you have a a really rigid structure and a procedure which is built for designing standards and generating consensus across cultures and countries and all that stuff. So there, there are many different approaches to all these standards. And I think in the in the computer industry, it's been a lot more of the more informal, but uh, and the World Wide Web Consortium. Um, but then again, um, as uh, in terms of software implementing standards, IFC is one of the more successful standards out there in the world. Uh, it's been implemented by a lot of software uh, and different kinds of software for the construction industry. So uh, I, I agree. Uh, uh, one of the problems with, or problems, I don't know if you can call that, but one of the challenges with ISO is that you have to pay for the standard to get it. And that makes it a little bit less uh, available. Uh, for somebody sitting, uh, having an idea, wanting to implement something on their computer and they don't feel the need or have the resources to spend uh, even a little bit of money for a standard. And then in, back in the internet days, the, the RFCs were published freely online and you can just look at them and, and, and implement whatever you wanted. Uh, so, of course, that has been a major boom for the, for the uh, computer industry and the internet. Uh, the building smart standards are freely available, so that uh, is following in that trend, and I think that's very good. Uh, so yeah, um, there there are different kinds and different uh, types of standards. But are these uh, like it needs like isn't enough for IT industry, for example, to not use ISO standards? Like you need to use this if you want like to implement in your company and in your software, you need to buy these standards. Um, it depends on the standard. Um, many standards are sort of like a publicly known and they're so vague and, and you get access to that information so you can implement them without having the standard. Others are more specific and when you, you actually need to have the standard in order to make sure that you're, you're mm -hmm. compliant. Um, so there are just different, uh, different styles out there. Yeah, what, what what I find a limitation is like for in, in the construction industry, no matter what you do, you need to pay for it. Like if you want to design a bridge or a building according to Eurocode or something, you need to buy it. You cannot run your business without standards. That's, what, that's the difference. And like, for example, if you want to implement a, a good BIM strategy, sound good strate BIM strategy, you need to buy ISO 9650, right? Uh, but I, I, I don't have the feeling that is the same for, like if you want to develop websites, you can just do it. Nobody will uh, tell you you need to buy my standard or something, right? From this point of view, I mean, like, it's very restrictive. Yes, I agree. I agree. And uh, I think standards should be freely available. That's, uh, that's how you get them implemented. That's how you get the things to work. And that's how you get the collaboration going. Uh, anything else doesn't make sense to me. 
Yeah, that sounds very good. So uh, it's going to be a very natural uh, segue to uh, open source. What's your, uh, what are your feelings regarding open source? And uh... so I've, I've been a, a great fan of open source um, for a long time. I've even, with a very small piece, contributed to the Linux uh, kernel uh, at some some point in time. So I, I really enjoy that. And of course, uh, whenever you build software today, I don't think there is any software out there that is not built on some kind of open source tools. And it's just fantastic uh, resource. And without open source, you wouldn't have had all the innovation that you do have today uh, with software and, and other tools that are using software for, uh, to, uh, to bring their product or services to market. I think that's uh, that's really great. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at some point if companies like ours, uh, you know, open sourced everything and sent their code out in the wild, because the value is probably uh, somewhere else. But then again, it's also a fierce competition out there, and and you're afraid, and it's it's a big risk if you don't know the outcome for a company like ours that are. Uh, very small and, and fragile and, and stuff like that. And we want to uh, make sure that we survive in the next 10 years as well. So uh, that's, a, that's a bit of a, of a challenge uh, for us. And, and the other thing is that it will take a lot of resources for us in order to, to actually do the process of open sourcing it. We have to vet out all the code that we have and make sure that we can actually do that. We have to uh, make sure it's uh, available somewhere and that's uh, working. We have to support uh, questions coming in and so forth. So that, that also requires a lot from us. So, for, so right now we're too small to, uh, to uh, contemplate this kind of thing. But I think it's, it's, uh, it's uh, great having uh, uh, open source uh, tools, open source um, software is, uh, is a very important part of the fabric. So. As, as we're using a lot of open source tools, we are of course contributing back to the open source community with, with code and with patches and bug fixes and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I was not uh, hinting to <laughs> Katenda go open source. That, that was not the, my, uh, my, the angle <laughs> of my question. I was, uh, I, I, I just wanted to, to uh, talk about the awareness about the, how many tools we as professionals in the AAC industry have open source. That's a big, a big problem. So, um, and a lot of people don't have any idea what open source is in our industry, to be honest. So, but I, I'm thinking, I always say this, that uh, if in IT it's possible to have so many tools, and of course uh, we have because uh, the programmers have built this themselves, right? But it, it would be nice if people would start becoming a little bit aware about that it can be an alternative, it can be something, uh, like there are open to open source tools for other industries as well, but how, uh, exactly for for the construction industry is very little awareness. So yeah, that's that's why I'm what I'm trying to to achieve talking about this. I I believe we we should have we, we should have some uh, some a little bit more awareness and contribution to this. Yeah, because we we cannot contribute ourselves ourselves. That's the thing, and the the best way to contribute ourselves, like mostly. It, it would be to help other developers that are doing this already, or uh, maybe, yeah, try to do what we can do, documentation or something. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's an incredible, valuable resource. And I'm, 
really impressed by everyone who's setting up an open source project and starting out and doing that. And I think there are some very uh, valuable ones out there in the in the construction world. You have Speckle, and then you have uh, Blender BIM, and you have uh, all kinds of interesting stuff out there that's uh, that's incredibly valuable. Yeah, Speckle Speckle uh, took up a lot, and I'm I'm really looking forward to that development. Uh, Speckle, yeah, like you said, Blender BIM as well. It's a lot of movement there. I'm trying to involve myself as much as possible in this, how I can. Uh, there is FreeCAD as well. So uh, yeah, we 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 get something, but it, it's also very fragmented. So, but it, it will definitely help if people start to know that, like, if you have a very small project or something, you can actually develop it yourself, do it yourself. You don't need to pay for Revit or other tool, but it's a little bit like you need to learn a little bit more. But maybe you need to. It's a little bit uh, higher uh, investment of your time. Uh, it's a little bit trickier, right? It's a little bit more advanced. There is no very easy interface, like, but you can do everything with these tools already, but it's a little bit too advanced. So, uh, yeah, let's hope that uh, we can get it to a point where it can be uh, more user-friendly and uh, more people can, can start using it. Yeah. Uh, do you see any trends, in interesting trends in our industry, in AAC? Um, yeah, there, there are... Um... I think the bigger trend that I see is that everybody's trying to digitize their workflow. They see the value of data. I think that's more and more evident, uh, even though you still have projects with uh, where uh, PDFs and 2D drawings and, and stuff like that is, is important. Uh, the, the big trend, everybody sees this, everybody understands. And I think the, uh, there will always be somebody who says BIM doesn't work and blah, blah, blah. But um, there are just too many projects uh, proving the opposite and they're just too obvious uh, when you start looking at it. So this will be a major trend that will uh, be quite, um, have a big, big impact on the construction industry uh, in, in many ways. How long it will take and so forth, that's uh, of course unknown. But I think that's the biggest trend that I see, uh, that data is more and more important. And then you have, of course, sensors that you can put into materials you can put into buildings you can put into rooms uh, they will be more and more um, uh, interesting and once once you get all this data you will have uh, you will need ways to analyze the data and understand it and uh, i think artificial intelligence will be in interesting in that sense um, helping us do things uh, the other trend is, of course, that um, more and more of a building will be built uh, in the factory. Uh, so there will be more and more assembly on site instead of building, in a sense. For example, if you can uh, bring on site exactly the material that you need, so you don't have to have a lot of waste on the, on the construction site, that will save you tremendous amount of money. And of course, it will save the environment tremendous amount of waste uh, so that's um, an obvious uh, reason why you should uh, build in factories instead of uh, building on site uh, oh, so that's yeah. i think the, the the two major trends that i see in, in the construction yeah and let's not overlook the security of people like if you do it in a factory like you will save lots of uh, situation where somebody can get hurt so that that's yeah yeah, and you have very good control. Like in a control place, you have you have it's easy to uh, to manage everything, but uh, that's not easy. Uh, even it's easy to say it, but the, uh, then it it poses other challenges. Like you need to think how to do it in a way that you can transport it to your site, right? And uh, 
to have the enough capacity to to uh, produce uh, the require the, the required amount for from clients right uh, like it's limited from this point of view like uh, you re- you need a really big uh, factory and uh, yeah uh, delivery and definitely there are other things but it's definitely uh, something that can have a positive impact but uh, technology wise i i forgot to add this i i was i meant actually technology wise like ai you mentioned ai do you are you playing with ai to implement it in bimsync do something interesting yeah of course we're looking at it we have uh, so much data in our in our platform that uh, it's uh, it would be a crime not to think about this and not to expo- explore it <laughs> So yes, we're we're looking at uh, ways to um, to support our our users and and improve their uh, their uh, productivity by utilizing some of uh, of the data that we do have. Uh, we could, for example, uh, easily benchmark uh, uh, your project against the, what we have, and and then say so. According to an industry average, you're a little bit behind or a little bit ahead or you're doing good or, or whatever. And that, that could be useful information for a lot of people. Um, and, and of course, artificial intelligence uh, is, I think, is an important technology in order to analyze uh, large amounts of data and making sense out of it. Yeah, yeah, it would be very difficult without that, without machine learning and everything else, yeah. Do you have any advice for everybody Anybody working with BIM or uh, considering BIM? Yeah, I think um, the one advice that I think seems to work quite well is is to take the small steps uh, and keep iterating over them. There is a lot of uh, potential to be had uh, once you start utilizing technology more and utilizing the data. But uh, in all the projects, you're you're basically limited with what's been prearranged, what's been preset, whatever. But you can always do a little bit, and and I would encourage everyone to think about what they can do to take this one little extra step tomorrow uh, towards a better uh, better setting. That could be an architect could be a little bit more mindful of the data that's being put in there. Uh, start maybe asking uh, some of the the users of that data, what, what they are using it for and how the architect can, with maybe a simple step that doesn't cost any extra time by just changing the way he does things or changing the which parameters he sends out there or whatever, I don't know. It could mean a big difference. It could be the worker on site, um, how he reports back what's, what's been done. Um, is there a, a way to do that a, a bit more digital, a bit more efficient um, so there are always small things that can be done that can improve things massively. But look at what we're at. Is there some, some part of the process that you're doing today that could be done a little bit more elegantly or a little bit more digital and uh, try that? That sounds like a very sound advice. Thank you. Now I'm going to confess something with you if I can do that. Uh, do you still have... You had a podcast. Beamcast, it was, or... You still have it? It's still running? It's uh, it's a little bit on a hi- hiatus right now, but uh, it's it's still uh, live in a sense, and uh, it may come back uh, at some point. But right now, it's uh, it's taking a bit of a rest. Okay, uh, but uh, why I mentioned this is like uh, it's a little bit um, interesting. But 
uh, in a way it contributed uh, to inspire me to start this podcast oh that's uh, very good actually uh, yeah when i when i uh, i, I listen, when i find it out uh, i i, I listen to all the episodes uh, in few days and and i was like i really liked it but at the same time i like i got a bunch of more questions <laughs> and this is what i decided to do about that because i i felt like I need to get answers, more answers. So I need to find a way to do that. And uh, uh, why not ask ex experts about this if they want? So I managed to find so far 34 or 35. It's uh, amazing, so very good. <laughs> it, it's it's going uh, well. So yeah, thank you for um, for the inspiration. Well, I'm very glad to hear that because I think uh, a major part of this is to share knowledge and share uh, information with each other and and uh, grow on each other's shoulders in a sense. So fantastic. Oh, this is another. Uh, I don't want to uh, go in the negative direction right now, but this is another problem in in our industry. Knowledge sharing sharing is very limited and very closed. So this is an, one of other reasons. But yeah, this was special for um, for. Um, uh, because uh, I have you as a guest now, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was really nice, and yeah, I thank you for that. Oh, uh, very glad to hear that. Thank you. Thank you for inspiring me. Yes. How can somebody get in touch with you? So the the best way is probably to go to katenda.com uh, and and look for how to get in touch. That's probably easy. I'm also on LinkedIn. If you look at um, Howard Bell on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's uh, the most efficient way. Yeah, but uh, you are not very active on LinkedIn, so you are a busy man. So it's better to just send the email from the website, maybe. Maybe it's easier, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or, or call, look, look up my phone number and call. I think it's on the, <laughs> on the website as well. Yeah. Thank you very much, Howard. It was very, very entertaining and I learned a lot from this. Thank you for coming. Thank around. you very much for, uh, for hosting. And uh, it was very enjoyable. I'm very happy to hear that. Thank you.